That's a basic difference in Christianity where we know, we believe, and we preach that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Islam, apparently, he is willing that some would perish. God wills some to go to hell. Once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people extremists now control terrorists. much of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Newsflash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. So uh, we're here in the studio with Dr. Warren Larson, and uh, Dr. Larson teaches a course uh, at Columbia International University on Islamic theology. And I think today, with everything that we see in the news, this particular subject matter is of is of new interest to people, uh, Warren. So it's good to have you. And I think the big question for us is: Thank you. We see uh, Muslims. 1.67 billion Muslims around the world being presented right. uh, as sort of this, um, well, oftentimes they're presented as terrorist. And it seems that there's there has to be more complexity, more nuance in how theology happens in Islam. So it's good to have you. How, how should Thank we you. view Islamic theology in the 21st century? Well, I, I just when I think of, uh, of Muslim theologians, and uh, I, I realize that they have not all been the same. In fact, uh, in fact, that they have struggled over uh, how to interpret the Quran for hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, we hear things in this country like the Quran is a violent book, or we hear that uh, we get the impression that the Quran is just. Uh, interested in, in in telling people how to kill their enemies, how Muslims should kill their enemies. The truth is, is that that is a matter of interpretation, and there are Muslims who have uh, who have advocated, uh, you know, uh, warmth and and injustice and all of those kind of things. I'm not saying that some Muslims are not uh, are not uh, mean spirited, and, and and as we see today, that's true. But I guess I guess the study of Islamic theology for me has given me new respect for uh, uh, for the type of for, for Muslims who have who have been good theologians and in the sense that they have tried to be fair they've tried to they've tried to be good scholars and they go all the way back uh, some of these Muslim theologians they have uh, you know they've built on Plato and Aristotle and they've confronted them we sometimes forget the fact that Islam was in Europe and was getting along quite well with, uh, you know, up until the 15th century when they were kicked out of Spain uh, in 1492. Uh, They confronted uh, Western theologians and philosophy, and in some ways, uh, Orthodox Islam has rejected philosophy, but they have been afraid too, uh, and many of them have been afraid of... uh, of the influence of the, I guess, the lack of morality in the West. And so they've reacted against uh, against the West in that sense. I, I think of one philosopher by the name of Muhammad Iqbal, 
who was the father of Pakistan, he said uh, something to the effect, God save us from the West and its ways. In other words, he felt that uh, the influence of the West was morally not completely good for Muslims. So in other words, they've, they've looked at this cuff and they've, they've struggled with it. Now, now, the image that you are uh, portraying, I think, of Muslims is very different kind of than, than what is in my mind. Uh-huh. It sounds like you're talking about Muslims in the past as being like this united front uh, in the way they're thinking and developing their thoughts and, and theologies. But today, I just have this idea of like a scattered Islam, a scattered uh, um, theology, just with, with so many different extremes all over the, the world, actually, because there's so many Muslims, mm. uh, it just seems like it doesn't match up with uh, what they used to be. It, what, what changed? What was different? Yes, well, I, I didn't mean to give the impression that they were united in the past. Uh, what I meant to say was that they have argued over issues uh, like moderation, like extremism. In other words, you had uh, Muslims are uh, discussing actually violence and uh and and they they discuss things like uh, what you call uh, predestination i was going to say do they talk about arminianism and calvinism the way we do yes exactly they that's a good question oh they they, they do you're not kidding no well, they, they do. don't use that term but yeah free yeah. will versus the sovereign <laughs> yes in fact they've had a great argument in the past they fought over this and so we don't want to be too critical but basically they have argued over predeterminism or predestination versus free will and some Muslims, by the name of Mutazilites, in the past, uh, they have said in the 10th century, they said that uh, we have free will. But eventually others, by the name of Asherites, eventually won the argument. And today, by and large, Muslims put a whole lot of emphasis on predestination, predeterminism. And the truth is that it is very Quranic. In other words, it's, it's basically, it's mostly the emphasis in the Quran. However, there are verses there in the Quran that do suggest uh, that there is some free will involved. We can choose. So, so you're saying that uh, Islam looks very different today than it was in the past, and that it could have changed. It no, could have been... no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Muslims have argued about the same things we have. Oh, we okay. have a Calvinist-Arminian uh, dis- disagreement. In other words, Calvinists would say, uh, put a lot of emphasis on the predestination right god can control right whereas the armenians put all the emphasis a lot of emphasis on free will of man muslims have argued about the same issues the only thing is that in islam uh the asherites which have they've emphasized the predeterminism right predestination they're the ones that have basically won so sunni muslims today are very much into God is in control. God plans everything. Uh-huh. Uh, he uh, has planned our will, uh, wills. He plans uh, good, and 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 he actually chooses those who will believe and will not believe. Now let's let's face it. Uh, they are very good at using two expressions, inshallah, which is if God wills, and the second one is mashallah, God has willed it. So those, just those two expressions tell you a lot about Muslims uh, that by and large, it's heavy into predestination. God, according to the Quran, uh, leads some astray. He leaves some straying. He, uh, lead, he guides some, but he's the one that decides. Be- before the Asherites uh, kind of 
brought their influence. Right. Uh, were they, I mean, obviously not Armenian, but were they closer to the emphasis on free will? Yes, yes. The, the Matazalites emphasized that, uh, that free will, and they were actually were more rationalists. They were, they were it isn't really uh, so logical to think that God plans everything, but basically that's what most Muslims today would say, that, you know, God plans everything. And it's true that you can find those verses in the Quran, there's a preponderance of verses in the Quran that would give you the impression, it says over and over again, God leads whom he will, and he uh, he leads, lets others go astray. He guides whom he will. And it says, for instance, says in the Quran that he will fill hell with men and with jinn, uh, as if, you know, it's all God's will. That's a basic difference in Christianity where we know, we believe, and we preach that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Islam, apparently, he is willing that some would perish. God wills some to go to hell. So the show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And this week's sponsors are... Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. And what does the Zwamer Center do? Uh, talks about Muslims and, and tells them on the computer that we love you. Very nice. The Zwemer Center equips the church to reach Muslims. The Zwemer Center has been educating people about reaching Muslims before it was cool. Um, it sounds like what you're saying, though, in the past, that the Muslims at least got together to... Right. Right. to discuss or argue these points. Right. Uh, do yes. you find that that happens today, and is it equally represented by uh, all of the different groups of Islam? Today? No, no, you're right. That in the past, they argued about this in the right way. They fought about it, and they discussed it, and then uh, basically they shut out people like the Mutazilites. You don't have Mutazilites today. Mutazilites are basically gone, but uh, the product, the the real strong view today is heavy into predestination, predeterminism, uh, and they find enough basis for it in the Quran. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it makes sense. And I think the important thing that we need to realize is that this happens right from the very get-go in Islam, that there is already debate. And so for the first, uh, you know, 300 years of the church, there's a lot of debate about the divinity of Christ, about the nature of Christ, uh, you know, about the free will of man, and all of these debates that go on and on throughout church history. Similar debates are happening within Islam, um, not particularly about Jesus so much. They kind of had their mind made up pretty early on that, I'm assuming. But in some ways, there have been some shifts in theology even regarding Jesus, correct? I mean, right. there was the at least the option early in Islam that Jesus might have died. Right. But nowadays, no, he did not die on the cross. That's right. Islam, in that sense, is hardened in a very much of a sense. And if you want to, in this discussion, we can also talk about some major differences between Sunnis and Shia, I don't know if that's interest to, if, of interest to your reading, uh, listening audience. A lot of people have been asking questions about that, but can we do that in a podcast? <laughs> is that, <laughs> I mean, is that, is that even possible? It is possible, but it's your choice when to bring it up. Well, I mean, at least give us the, the rundown on what are the basic differences. What, what really caused the split between the Sunni and Shia early in Islam? Yeah, that was the first, that was the first thing that actually uh, broke the community apart. 
And it happened just after Muhammad died in 632 when they began to ask who is going to be a success, his successor. And it's a good question. In other words, it's a question of leadership. Who is going to be the caliph? And uh, some said that the caliph has to be a relative of Muhammad. They said that the person that should be the next leader is, uh, would be Ali, who was the, actually his son-in-law married to his daughter Fatima. Others said, no, Ali, we don't like him. We want to choose somebody else who is a, a, a born leader, somebody who's a, a, good, a head, head, good head on his shoulders. And they chose a guy by the name of Abu Bakr, who was the father-in-law of Muhammad, and he was the caliph for a while, a couple of years, and then somebody else came in for another 10 years, and then thirdly, somebody came for 12 years, and finally, 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 in 656, uh, finally Ali gets chosen. But you see, uh, again, the difference, the main difference between Shia and Sunni is the question over leadership, because uh, the Shiites felt, and they still do today, that the only person that's qualified uh, to lead the Muslim community is someone who has Muhammad's, is connected to Muhammad through, uh, he's a, is a descendant of Muhammad. Whereas the Sunnis said, we don't care about that. And so this division that started back there in the 7th century grew and grew and grew. Uh, then after a while you get theological differences. But I think the, if we could just keep that in mind, that it was a question of leadership, that's what broke them apart. And that's what uh, caused Iraq to be such an explosive place. And that's what's trouble with Iran today and Saudi Arabia and all of those things. It's the same old fight. So in that sense, Warren, help us understand what happened. Uh, I'm sure it's complicated, but is there some things that we can look at specifically? We have the first 300 years of Islam. We have a pretty incredible movement across all of North Africa, up into Spain, across the entire Byzantine Empire. And we have some of the best scholarship being produced by Persians and Arabs under these Islamic dynasties. And then something radical happens in the 10th century where it seems like everything sort of stops. Right. What do you think happened? Why did it all stop and seem to go backwards from that point? Well, um, the modernist, uh, the late Fazlur Rahman, uh, who has written several books, including uh, one is Islam and then Islam and Modernity, uh, plus a few other books, he says that Islam made the big mistake of closing the gates. He's not the only Muslim that said that. In other words, they they basically closed the gate on Islamic law. Uh, They quit thinking. And uh, he is a marvelous fellow, this this fellow. He taught, uh, he got kicked out of Pakistan for his views because he's a moderate moderate, uh, years and years ago. And he came over here and he taught in the University of Chicago. I have more respect for him. In fact, just listening to that fellow and reading his works uh, sort of raises your view of Muslims. He's an excellent thinker, and uh, he's not one of these narrow-minded bigots like we some often think of Muslims. We have the idea that they're all hardliners, perhaps, uh, uh, and, and but that's not true. Uh, Rahman is a good thinker, uh, and he's marvelous, and, and uh, he thinks uh, that... Islamic education, he doesn't even use the word education, he calls it intellectualism. And he says, uh, Muslims are going to have to start using their minds, and they're going to have to start thinking things through. He says, for the last 500 years, they've been closed, uh, stagnant, they've been uh, not making a a progress, he's uh, disappointed with Islamic education, the stagnation, the... uh, 
just a sort of a closed system. And he, and yet, on the other hand, Rahman is hopeful that they can change, that uh, Muslims can come out of this demise and start thinking again like they did uh, during the Middle Ages when they led the way in medicine and science and uh, mathematics and made discoveries in agriculture and optometry and things like that. Muslims, I mean, have done some tremendous things in the past, but the trouble is is that 500 years ago they seemed to go into sort of a, a dip and they stayed there. And that's the unfortunate thing about Islamic history. Uh, that, that, that This is not a criticism from the outside. It's the Muslims themselves recognize it. And uh, Rahman is, is one of my favorites. I can't but help uh, but seek some comparisons with Christianity. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people would be saying the same thing about Christians. Uh, you, you know, used to be at the forefront you know, mm-hmm. science and, and research and all those kind of things. And now all of a sudden uh, they've stopped using their brains. Um, you know, at least invent, you, you know, like these, um, I actually, I don't want to name names because it's just <laughs> offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, like in the same way. And then you have, you have fundamentalist Christians who are attacking anybody else that would, would try to, you know, start, you know, thinking intellectually or in, intelligently using logic and, and those kind of things. So it, it is. It is interesting. I, I I only bring that up because I think about um, how you know how uh, th- this relates to us. You know, even ah, as as Christians, right. the struggles that we have, even as you know, um, as people of faith. And when I think about you know some of the things that we talked about the, with the the people that came and they argued these points, and how our history is the same way with Christians. You know, these councils in the past, Nicaea and such, where they would argue these points. All right, this week's sponsors. CIU. CIU. CIU educates people from a bib- biblical biblical world review. World view. World view. CIU educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Well, I think it's true that Muslims or Christians have somehow pulled away sometimes, pulled away from uh, engagement, and even the fundamentalists themselves in some ways have have pulled away thinking that this was the way to solve problems, when in fact they should have remained part of the discussion uh, and and engaged with the world. In Christian philosophy, I I could say another thing is that... that, um, when you think back in the history of Islam, there was a fellow by the name of uh, Al-Ghazali who died in 1111, and it's an easy date to remember. Al-Ghazali is perhaps the greatest Muslim theologian philosopher in the history of Islam. And he made a decision in his life where he sort of uh, he, he rejected uh, uh, philosophy or rationalism, and he said that... Uh, the way to go is through Sufism and one thing or another. And it seemed that after that, Islam started to go downhill. I don't know, but um, Al-Ghazali was brilliant, uh, the greatest Muslim theologian. He seemed to make a decision that helped to close the doors. However, there have been since that time, of course, some brilliant Muslim theologians, and I think we need to know them. We need to know people like uh, uh, Ibn Sina, whose name in Europe was uh, Avicenna, uh, who was brilliant uh, in, in medicine and philosophy. We need to know that, that Islam has this. They have, uh, they have moderates like Sir Sayyid Ahmed Khan in India who tried to bring the British and the, <laughs> the fundamentalists, I mean, the, the, the Muslims together. He, he advocated Western education. 
Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of names back there that were were moderate, and they had moderate interpretations of the Quran. They weren't uh, all fundamentalists. There is a fellow in uh, in the history of Islam called uh, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, and uh, he was a hardliner. He was a fundamentalist. But he wasn't the only Muslim theologian. He was one. And that is the guy that influenced Saudi Arabia. He was the one that influenced guys like Sayyid Qutb, the fellow who seems to be the inspiration for terrorists today. He wrote the book Milestones and uh, became a martyr. He was killed for it, for his radicalism in 1966. Well, Tamiya is back there, and he was a fundamentalist. He was a... um, he was a fundamentalist, and he influenced people, that's true. But, but you know, there are other Muslim theologians who were not like that. They were, they were uh, reasonable. They were moderate. And I think we need to be aware of that uh, in, in our understanding of Islam. We, most people don't, they don't know that. They just, they just pick up the Quran, and they don't recognize that there are different pr- interpretations uh, different ways to read it, and I think we should realize that people haven't always interpreted the Quran in that way, one way. It sounds almost like you're saying that we would uh, bring these moderates up to bring them to the light as far as uh, our understanding, and what does that do for our average listener? Um, do you think that is a conflict a little bit uh, for what we believe um, by kind of like highlighting a um, a Muslim, I guess? in, in Well, certainly supporting them. And being aware of them, I mean, when you listen to uh, some of the comments uh, in our country, in North America, in Europe, you would never think that there is such a thing as a moderate Muslim. Uh, Or you would think that the only Muslim that there is, if he's really a true Muslim, he is a violent one. He's a fundamentalist. He's one who, uh, uh, who advocates violence and jihad and all that kind of stuff. The truth is that there are moderates, and they're speaking today. They may not be speaking uh, as boldly as we would like them, or as clearly, but in some ways, you know, it is a little dangerous. Warren, wasn't there a recent meeting in Saudi Arabia with the the scholars to discuss uh, radicalism, uh, to discuss ISIS, Yes. And all of these things. And one of the calls that kind of came forward was a need for reform in education and in the Islamic schools and, and training programs. And that this is an internal debate that's it's not going away anytime soon. And they're working through this and they're quite divided. Um, yes, on I, all these issues. I think it's uh, it's uh, it's a good sign. In other words, uh, that they are talking about it, whether or not they they can handle it and succeed, we don't know. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with their internal discussions. They're trying to. They're talking about it. Uh, whether or not Islam can change today, given the dynamics of chaos and confusion and the uh, violence of some extremists, we don't know exactly what they're going to do or how it's going to turn out. All we do know is that uh, I, would, I would argue that we do know that God is in control. He's sovereign, and I often think of the verse that he's making the wrath of man to praise him. So in the midst of this terrible turmoil that Muslims are in, fighting among themselves, disagreeing among themselves, 
uh, God is, is busy saving people like never before, uh, Muslims. So that's the only thing that I can cling to. I don't know what's going to happen with, uh, as far as their own disputes. Uh, with the media, it sounds like we emphasize, obviously, all the terrorist attacks, which, you know, rightfully so, that is news. Right. Uh, but in, in the same sense, do you think that if the media highlighted some of these moderates and heard what they had to say, gave them a voice, maybe a broader voice, do you think that would help uh, in in changing like the minds of... <laughs> well, they, they've tried. I mean, uh, for instance, this Raza Aslan, right. who's, uh, who's an Iranian. Right. Right. He's, uh, he's a moderate... Uh, yeah, he, he lots of things you like that he says. He he comes across. He's cool. He comes across well. He's cool. He's, he's a, a cool looking guy. He's a cool. Yes, he's a good speaker. Uh, he did write a book on Jesus that I didn't like because it was just a liberal view of Jesus. Uh, zealot, but, wasn't it? Zealot. Was zealot. The, the zealot. Yes, uh, because it's just liberal Christianity. But but when he talks about Islam, he does a good job, and I think that I think that he does get some press. But, you know, overwhelming, uh, like you've said, overwhelming news is, is to pick out the, the bad stuff uh, and to fill the, the airwaves with that. What are they doing? And, 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 uh, and, and also then uh, to get behind it and to say that, oh, well, that's all really that the Quran teaches and that's the theology. And, 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 uh, and so then that fear drives a fear of Islamic law and fears of Sharia and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, so that really, uh, often it's, it's filled with ignorance. It's misinformation or lack of information and a whole bunch of experts uh, who think that they know all about Islam. All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us, you like what we're doing, you want to be on our team, what have you, bring this show to the world, then email us and let us know. All right, so William Lane Craig says uh, that moderate Islam is to Islam what nominal Christianity, cultural Christianity is to Christianity. And that's you know some of the things that we've been hearing a lot lately, like uh, uh, Sam Harris. Remember when uh, he was uh, had that debate? Uh, I wonder is that true? Is it is uh, can we measure? Because you're talking about theology here, can we measure nominal Christianity with uh, the the moderate Muslim? Yeah, this seems to be a theme. Like everybody makes the case that the the real Muslims are ISIS, and the nominal Muslims are all the moderates that you see walking around. So how, how do we respond to this? Is he right? Is, uh, what should our viewpoint be from somebody that has actually studied Islamic theology and teaches this at the university level? Yeah, I mean, William Cra- uh, Lane Craig is brilliant. Uh, highly respect him. Uh, he's a great thinker. He has a terrific mind. But I don't think it's true that um, you can like a moderate Muslim to a nominal Christian or a cultural Christian because basically... When you say nominal Christian, you mean that there's not really a Christian, just a Christian, uh, Christian in name. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's fair. Uh, I don't think it's historically true for one thing, because as we've just been talking about, uh, you know, over the past hour or so, when you look at his- Islamic uh, theology, the history of Islam, you've got cases of moderate Muslims, Sir Sayyid Ahmad Khan in India, who was moderate or uh, a guy like the name of Muhammad Iqbal, who is the father of Pakistan, he was a moderate, uh, or uh, Abdu, Muhammad Abdu in Egypt. These guys are moderate Muslims. Now, what are you going to say? Are you going to say that uh, 
uh, that they weren't really Muslims. They, they claimed to be Muslims. They believed in the Quran. They followed the Quran. Uh, and and uh, no, I, I, I can't agree that that's true be, uh, uh, because I think if you look at history, uh, moderates have been there. It is true that uh, in some cases, uh, you know, by and large, uh, uh, the fundamentalists have won out but it doesn't mean that, by, by what I mean by the fundamentalists have won out, I mean that um, uh, fundamentalist theology has uh, seemed to have won the argument. In other words, that they are uh, dominant today, but the moderates are still there. They don't have a strong voice. Uh, they do speak. You have moderates today. I've uh, met before mentioned the name Fazlur Rahman, who is a moderate. Uh, he's he's passed away now, but he did get kicked out of Pakistan. Are you going to say that he is not a Muslim? I mean, it's it's like saying that the Shiites are not Muslims. It's like saying that anybody who is not uh, a Sunni Muslim is 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 not a Muslim. I think that's unfair. I think it's it's really the what the hardliners are saying. It's what the uh, the Taliban would say. It's what ISIS would say. It's what Boko Haram would say, uh, but it's not true. It's not fair, and it's not, uh, it's not the thing that we should be echoing. We should be aware of the fact that there is a variety of Muslims. They uh, have different views and different uh, viewpoints, and I think, uh, I think we have to recognize that, and we should support it. I mean, we can always feel that the moderates should be speaking out more strongly, but we have to keep in mind that uh, uh, that the moderates are sometimes afraid. I mean, to to speak too strongly. Uh, so that's all I can say is that I don't agree with that that particular point of view. But I sometimes think that that's what we want to hear. Well, we, I think that's what sells. That's what sells in the media. I mean, right. I think the moderates every time they try and speak, they don't get uh, a voice. They don't get any coverage. Right. And the unfortunate thing, I mean, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, Christians who would say this, but sometimes the uh, non-Christians would say it too, that the real Muslim is a violent one. The real Muslim is, is one who, uh, who takes the hard line. I don't think it's fair because uh, it's almost like saying that all those Muslims who, uh, who advocate warmth and, uh, well, it's, it's, it's saying that the Sufis are not Muslims, for example. Uh, no, it's not fair. It's uh, it's an extreme view, and I reject it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simplistic, especially when you look at all of the different religions around the world, particularly even in the first century with Judaism. You had zealots, you had Pharisees, you had Sadducees, you had all of these different representations of Judaism, mm -hmm. and there was disagreements about resurrection. Would it be bodily? Would it be spiritual? There was all these disagreements happening and all this diversity within the first century of Judaism, and then you go into Christianity, it gets even more complex, and then somehow Islam comes on the scene and we're looking at Islam and saying, well, no, there's really only one true interpretation, and it's the radicals. And the irony is that the Christians are siding with the radicals, and I just find that just... I mean, there is reason for it. There is the abrogation principle that uh, some of the, the later verses that Muhammad uh, was inspired to write, supposedly, are uh, more anti, uh, stronger against Christians, stronger against the people of, book, uh, of the book, and so on. That, that's true. Uh, but the moderates would argue for another interpretation of the Quran, and that is possible. I don't think, this might sound radical to some people, but I 
I don't think that the Quran in itself is a violent book. I think its interpreters can be violent. Uh, that might sound like a pretty extreme. Vocal, yeah, that's that's going to be considered radical. So you're going to have to explain that in a little more detail. Yes. Well, just uh, what I'm just trying to say is that you can find bo- uh, verses in the Quran that are quite warm and fuzzy, but you can find uh, a lot of verses too that are quite uh, violent. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, there are different interpretations. In fact, I have a book uh, written by Helmut Gatje, G A T. J.E., who is German, and he has, the name of his book is the Quran. um, I think it's Quranic Exegesis, isn't it? Quranic Exegesis, but then there is something at the end uh, about interpretations. So I think that we have to admit that there are other interpretations in the Quran. It's not just uh, the violent approach. And whether or not the moderates will gain ground, uh, in the in the battle that is going on is another question. I don't know that they will, uh, but they're there, and I would root for them, and I would give them permission to 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 claim to be Muslims. I wouldn't say that they're nominal, uh, like uh, nominal Christians. Uh, I wouldn't say that. That doesn't seem to, that seems to be a judgment call as to the nature of Islam. And would you? want to make any judgment call people want to make judgment calls on this this is something i hear i mean almost every church i go to warren somebody says well you don't understand the true nature of islam almost as though i've been napping and (laughs) somehow missed out on the true nature in in this concept is it possible that we see this concept because we uh try to view islam through the lens in which we view our own faith exactly exactly i mean the uh, it's not It's not right, and I think the best approach here is that one we've been talking about today is the history of Islamic struggles, uh, the nature of Muslim theologians and what they've talked about and the positions they've taken. Uh, it's certainly, you have to look at Islam in all of its history of 1,500 years to, 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 to say, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, an exceptional scholar of Islam, but I have studied it, I've looked at it for the last 46 years, and I think what's helped me the most from a personal point of view, is that I've lived with Muslims uh, in Pakistan and South Asia for 23 years, and this helped me to see Muslims as people, not just to see them as somebody over there uh, who is trying to kill me. Uh, So I think that has helped to live with Muslims and still to have Muslim friends and to understand them uh, and to see their concerns, their sentiments, their love, their acceptance, their uh, openness, even their forgiveness and their generosity. Uh, when you see Muslim like this, what are you going to say? Well, they're not Muslims. You right. can't say that because right. if you do it, it is a terrible judgment call. I think the best thing we can do is have Muslim friends. I would wonder about some of these people who make these strong statements about Islam. Do they really have Muslim friends? Warren, I wonder if it's a common denominator. Maybe they knew one Muslim somewhere, I don't know. But I do think that there is some something there about not having known Muslims as people and trying to say that, right. hey, we just look at the text, and this is what the text says. And, right. and there's no such text apart from an interpreter when it comes to Islam. There are people that read the text, interpret it, and live their lives. And we have to know 
Muslims if we're going to make these hardline statements about right. Muslims. Yeah, I think that's true, yes. I think we would feel the same way about people that study Christianity. I mean, mm. goodness, how many people are out there writing about Christians that have never opened the Bible or met a Christian in their life? Well, that's true, yes. <laughs> and it's yeah. frustrating. So I think that's a good one to uh, to end it on. And uh, we appreciate you being here. And right, thank uh, you. thanks so much for helping bring a new perspective to this uh, ongoing debate about the true nature of Islam and looking at it from in a perspective of Islamic theology. Thanks for inviting me. 